0: We start a new series today that I honestly, quite frankly, am extremely excited about. Uh, We're going to be looking at different women in the Bible. Uh, It is by no means an exhaustive list, but we're going to be looking at different women in the Bible and and just learning from their stories. Uh, How this is going to work is we'll go through a different one each week. This week we're going to look at Esther. We'll just go through their story. We'll talk about their situations and what it is that we can learn from them. And we'll see in this series that uh, oftentimes I feel like women don't get the... Um attention that they're due, especially in Scripture, uh, especially from the stage, uh, we will see that they are definitely not second-class citizens in the Bible whatsoever, and that we can learn as much from uh, any woman as we can from any man, and uh, that applies to today, it applies to then, and and so, I I mean, I am excited about this series. It's not something that uh, I've ever done before, or quite frankly, really ever uh, heard before, and so we are going to take a look at that. As I said, we're going to be taking a look at Esther, and Esther was an amazing woman. She was a woman that was um, extremely courageous in the face of, of death multiple times in her life. And so, uh, we'll start there. As I said, we're just going to go through the story. We'll talk about some different things. Uh, when I think about Esther, the, the closest thing that I can uh, come up with, you know, as pastors, you're told to come up with some sort of introductory, like, catch em type thing. And, and I got to be honest, I kept thinking about how does this apply to our world today? What what can we compare Esther to? And I kept coming back to, to a soldier, and and I'll explain that. The reason I kept coming back to a soldier is because soldiers will literally, um, in the face of giving their life, do what they believe is right and battle for their convictions because of their belief a lot of times um, in, in, in why they're fighting. Sometimes they're fighting because... They signed up to do it, and, and they're ordered to do it, and so they do that. But, but that that same level of selflessness uh, of saying that, despite what could go wrong for me, I'm going to go out and I'm going to fight for what is right. We see that both in in, in the soldier, and the American soldier, and all soldiers, and, and in Esther. Um, what happens in Esther is there's a king in this day, and, and, and the Jews, they're in exile, and, and the king is Xerxes. Uh, now, Xerxes holds this banquet to celebrate himself. And listen, they did parties right, right? They did parties right. This banquet is like a year long extravaganza. This isn't just some like, hey, come for one night and we'll have a good time. Uh, it's, it's going over a long period of time. Well, near the end of when this time is coming to a close, he. He's got a queen. Her name is Vashti, and uh, he wants to show her off, right? Uh, she's a beautiful woman, and and he wants like to bring her in front of his noblemen, in front of all these people, and say, you know, look at what's mine. And she's like, no, 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 I'm not doing that, right? Like, I'm I'm not anyone's proper. I don't know what she was thinking. She just declined the invitation, which really wasn't an invitation. He said, hey, you need to come. And she said, no, I'm not going to do this. Well, kings aren't used to being told no. And so Xerxes gets angry and he gets really angry and, and he's looking for a way to, to punish her. And, and so one of the things I do like about Xerxes is that he's not somebody who always... Uh, just acts right away out of anger and fury, right? Like he takes some time to figure out what's exactly the best way to go about these things. And so a lot of kings in this day and age would have just been like, hey, off with her head, kill her, get her out of here. But he goes to his people and he says, so what's the best thing for me to do? What, What should I do with her? And they say, well... you you need to make a decree that she can't ever enter your presence again and and strip her of her title. So he doesn't take her life, but he removes her from the position of queen, and there's a decree, it it becomes law, that she just cannot be in his presence ever again. Well, he needs a new queen. He needs a new queen, and and he gets lots of candidates. Interstage right, here comes Esther. And Esther uh, is one of these women who is here in exile now. She's ordered by her uncle Mordecai not to tell anybody that she's a Jew. She, he tells her, hey, keep that secret. Okay, keep that secret. We don't want you to tell anybody. Um, Esther actually is an orphan uh, who was taken in by her uncle and raised as one of his own. And listen, she's a knockout. Like, there's a reason I'm mentioning this. She's a knockout. She's beautiful. The Bible even goes so far in 2.7 to say that she has a nice figure and she's beautiful. Meaning that she's appealing to the eye. Meaning that... She has something that the king is going to see in her and say, there's value there. There's value there. But Esther's not just somebody to be oogled, okay? She is a lion. She's a lion. She's a fighter. She's courageous. There's so much more to her beauty. And in just that, it teaches us that there is so much more to the face level of a person. There's so much more value than what you just get up front. That you really have to meet somebody and get to know somebody to see how awesome that they can be. And so, yes, she was gorgeous. And it even says that she went through 18 months of preparation. Can you imagine like 18 months of spa days before you can even be introduced to the queen or to the king? And they're doing all sorts of, you know, beautification and bathing and soaking her in smell good stuff and I mean, just for 18 months straight, she has to go through this process just to come in to the presence of the king. The king was entranced by her beauty, though. He liked Esther a lot. He said, clearly, hey, this woman's beautiful. He liked her more than others, but it also tells us that there was something about her that he just drew him to her, that he showed his favor to her more than he did to the other girls. Esther as I said before, was extremely courageous. She was a lion, and and her courage is unmatched by so many in Scripture. Esther did what was right at the risk of being wronged. And as I already stated multiple times, Esther risked her own life to do the right thing. She's a woman of conviction and isn't afraid of standing for what she thinks is right, even if it means that she dies even if it means that she dies. We see in Esther 2, chapter 2, 21-23, it says, During the time Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. Now this is after she's become made queen. And Big Phina and Teresh, I'm guessing, uh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway became angry and conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. But Mordecai, her uncle, found out about the plot and told Queen Esther, who in turn reported it to the king. Giving credit to Mordecai, that will come into play. Now, when the report was investigated and found to be true, the two officials were impaled on poles, as this was recorded in the book of the Annals. Yeah, good. I didn't want you to understand. I did not want to pronounce it wrong. Annals. We'll say annals. I appreciate that. I'm just saying. In the presence of the king. Uh, now, Esther brings this report. Listen, I've, 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 I Googled how to pronounce it and all things and like, there was this British voice and they said it differently and the whole thing all week has been stressing me out. So I should ask, Tom, Tom I'm asking you next time. So Esther brings this report before the king and in doing so, she, she's taking her life and putting it on the line because this is what happens, right? It's that if Esther brings this report and no proof can be found, then for false accusations in her day and age, you receive the punishment that the person you accused would have received in your stead. So what would have happened to her is that she would have been impaled on a spike herself just for coming to the king and saying, somebody heard this and they told me about it. And they're seeking to kill you. Now luckily for her, it was found and proven to be true. And so she gave credit to Mordecai and and she was spared her life. But there's a risk there. See, there's a risk there. Now you think about this. Here's the thing. Now if Xerxes gets assassinated, she's no longer queen, okay? There's, There's... an incentive there for her to report this but but she's still alive like even if she stops being the queen she still has her life she still has her life and yet she risked everything she had everything she possibly could be to do the right thing i think that as christians sometimes we struggle to do this we struggle to to do what's right in the face of everything that could go bad against us, right? Like, I could stand up and say something about this situation, but I don't really want the trouble. I don't really want the trouble, right? Like, I can see this person being harassed, or I can see that person kind of being bullied in the workplace, or I can see this person uh, having a false accusation uh, being brought against them, but, hey, all that stuff's going to work itself out, and I don't really need to impl- uh, implant myself in this because... I just don't want that trouble, and I, I don't want the risk of what could happen to me. Like, then they'll say, hey, I'm, I'm a pot stirrer, and, and I caused all this drama, and, and, and I just don't want that on my conscience. And so we can always find a reason not to do the right thing because of how it benefits us. But Esther was a person who said, I don't care how this benefits me, okay? I don't care how it benefits me not to do the right thing. I'd rather do the right thing and die for it. Well, I'd rather do the right thing and be fired for it. I'd rather do the right thing and, and be reprimanded and have something put in my file for it than stand back and not do anything just because I know at the end of the day it would be okay and comfortable for me. She just wasn't going to have that. Now, this isn't the end of the danger. Danger doesn't stop here. After Xerxes kills these two men, he appoints a man by the name of Haman. And Haman was not a good guy. And he he appoints him to the highest position that a noble can have in this kingdom. And Haman, uh, he takes full advantage of this. He's like, man, I am whoo-hoo. And he goes around and he's like, hey, you guys are going to have to bow to me now. And you're going to have to, like, praise me and tell me how good I am. So, like, when people walk by, everybody's taking a knee. Hey, it's Haman. Well, everybody except for Mordecai. See, because Mordecai is not going to bow to somebody who is not God. Who's not God. And so right away, Haman gets mad and he, he finds out that Mordecai is a Jew. Some of his people tell him, hey, this is a Jew. He's one of these people that have been exiled here. And listen, it's not just him. They're all going to cause trouble. And so in his anger, Haman says, well, we're going to find a way. Uh, we're going to find a way to kill all of the Jews. We're going to get rid of all of them. Old, young, man, woman, like all of them. We're going to find a way. Mordecai hears this. He becomes distressed. He puts on sackcloth, which uh, is, I mean, it's, like the best thing I can think of is think of like a like an old potato bag right like just as simple as can be and he covers himself in ashes and he's just grieving in the streets and he's he's completely upset and he's in distress and one of uh one of Esther's eunuchs sees this and comes and reports it to her and so he she sends word hey what's distressing you what why are you so upset what what's going on and he explains to her everything that's happening I I wouldn't do this for Haman, and now Haman wants to kill all of us. He wants to kill all the Jews, which Esther is one of. Esther replies in 4.11, Listen, all of the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they are to be put to death unless the king extends his golden scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. First of all, she's the queen. She hasn't seen her husband 30 days. (laughs) He hasn't needed her for 30 days. Right? So you haven't seen somebody in 30 days. Your first assumption is, especially somebody like that, they're not too happy with me. Like there's something going on here. He doesn't want to see me. It's been 30 days since I've been called before him, called to see him. And you're wanting me to just walk in there and, 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 try to put a stop to this plot that Haman has going. And she's terrified because she fully understands what this means. If he doesn't extend that scepter, if he doesn't say, "Hey, I'm happy to see you today," she's a goner. If if he doesn't, you know, if he's angry from the guy that he talked to before said something wrong to him and it just his anger is burning, she comes in, "What are you doing here? Get out of here." No scepter, death. Like there's so many factors that play into her decision to go before him, but Mordecai, her father, her uncle, says, listen, just because you're a queen, don't think that this is not going to touch you. You are a Jew. And the one thing that Xerxes did when a law became a law, he stuck to that law. He stuck to that law. So Mordecai said, hey, just because you're the queen and you're in his court, just because you have found his favor before, do not think, do not think that this will not come back to haunt you. And he even goes on to say, hey, maybe this is why you were made queen. So many times I think we find ourselves put in situations that we don't understand why we're there. But God has placed us there in order to be his voice, in order to act on his behalf. And I wonder how many of those times we find ourselves in those situations, we don't do it out of fear. We don't do it out of fear. We don't do it because it's uncomfortable, or we don't do it because it's awkward, or we don't do it just because we're mad at God because He put us in this situation in the first place. But sometimes we're supposed to act, even in the scariest of situations. Esther replied to Mordecai in verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 15 and 16, Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, and even though it is against the law... And if I perish, I perish. See, as I already said, you don't show up to the king's court without an invitation. You don't do it. And if you do, you're literally putting your life on the line. You have to have that scepter extended to you or it's over. It's over. And she wasn't willing. She wasn't willing to let others suffer for her safety. How courageous. How bold. How many times do you can say, I gave up my comfort, I stepped out and put myself at risk because... Somebody else was being wronged. I think back to a situation I had in high school. Um, I was a sophomore. At Hillcrest, there's an annex, and you have to walk out of the school and up this hill to go to your classes. And at that time, that's where all the language classes were going. I was on my way to go to Spanish, and there was a special needs student who was an upperclassman. And there were two other upperclassmen who had stolen his Dr. Pepper And they were, I mean, guys, this is a scene straight out of a movie. And they were passing it back and forth. Real jerks. Real jerks. Now, mind you, at that time, I'm this size but in much better shape. Lot stronger. Right? Big guy. I did not get messed with. Like, did not get messed with. I could have put a stop to that. Notice I said I could have because I didn't. I still think about that every single week, at least one time a week. I really do. And it chokes me up. It gets me upset because I had an opportunity to stand up for somebody who couldn't stand up for themselves. But because it would have been uncomfortable, because I would have had to put myself at risk of being in a fight two-on-one, and because uh, I just didn't want to be seen as the guy who was causing trouble or, or trying to be a tough guy or do any of those things, I just walked on by. And I have regretted it literally Every single day since. One of the one times in my life where I had an opportunity to show courage, to stand up what, for what was right, I was a coward. I was a coward because it was better for me to not do it. I wonder how many times in life we've had situations like that where we haven't done the right thing just because maybe it was better for us not to. See, it isn't right for us to prioritize our comfort over what is right. This goes hand in hand with what we talked about with evangelism, but it goes so much deeper than that. We as Christians should be people of principle. We should desire to do the right thing because it is the right thing, and oftentimes that takes courage. See, Esther shows us exactly what it looks like to make a righteous and courageous decision. In James 4.17 it says, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Isaiah 1.17 says, Learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, and plead the widow's cause. Galatians 6.7-16 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Proverbs 31, 8-9 Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. You will find passage after passage just like this in the Bible. Scripture implores the believer to be people of action, not just to desire what is good, but to actually do what is good. Not because it's convenient, not because of the benefits, not because of the recognition that it might bring us, but because our God is God, and because our God is a just God, and because our God wants us to be just people. We're supposed to do the right thing because it's the right thing regardless of the outcome. And that's what Esther teaches us. That's what she shows us. That's what she does. She could have just sat back, but Esther's in a position to do something great. Okay, she understands this better than most, that that sometimes we have to risk things. Sometimes we have to be bold. Sometimes we have to step out in faith, even if it damns us. Because it's right. Christians are supposed to be courageous. We're supposed to be courageous. And Esther, she takes a backseat to no one. Not David, not Moses, not the disciples, not Paul. She risked her life to save an entire nation. If that doesn't show us something, I don't know what will. She was and is a titan of biblical proportion. And I find her, quite frankly, to be amazing. Her courage makes us a role model before us all. And she wasn't okay, but just sitting by. So Esther goes before the king, and guess what? He extends the scepter. She, he gets a favor, and he says, hey, even so much, he goes, says, whatever you want, up to half of the kingdom, I'm going to give it to you. Literally, you could have half of the kingdom, it's yours. She says, I just want to have dinner with you and Haman. That's all I want. Haman loves it. He's puffed up. He's like, yeah, this is great. I'm about to, the queen wants to have dinner with me and the king, and yeah, this is awesome. And so he, the first dinner happens, and he leaves it feeling wonderful. And, and the king even says, like, Look, hey, this, at the dinner, hey, this is just dinner. Like, what do you really want? Up to half of the kingdom I will give you. And what she say? I just want to have dinner tomorrow night with you and him. You and him. Just kind of feeling things out, kind of seeing how they're going to go, right? And Haman walks out, and he's all happy, and, and this is from the first dinner, and guess what? Then he passes Mordecai, and he sees Mordecai, and he automatically gets angry. And so he comes up with this idea, I'm going to put this pole next to my house, 50 cubits, which is like 75 feet, and I'm going to impale them on it, and I'm going to hang them up on it, and everybody's going to see it, and they're going to know that I am not somebody to be messed with. I am not somebody to be messed with. This is going to be awesome. That's what he's thinking. He's excited about this opportunity. So next night comes, and... This is what happens. Uh, things are about to turn. The next night comes after this dinner, and, and the king can't sleep. And so he brings somebody uh, to to come in and to read the record of all the recent happenings in the kingdom. And they bring up Mordecai. Mordecai saved you from this assassination plot. Remember, she gave credit to Mordecai when she came and told him. And he said, well, what's been done for Mordecai? Like, nothing has been done for Mordecai. We need to do something for him. So next morning, Haman comes. Listen to how great this is. This is God, and this is awesome. Next morning, Haman comes, and the king says, hey, what would you do for somebody that the king just wants to to please, that the king just wants to lift up, that the king just wants to celebrate? Haman, thinking... He must be talking about me. says, well, I'd put him up on a horse and I'd lead him through town and I'd have everybody shout praises to him. And so the king says, that's great idea. Go get Mordecai. Get a horse. You're going to lead him through town. You're going to lead Mordecai through town as everybody just praises Mordecai for what he's done. If that's not God, I don't know what is. Well, this just makes him even more angry. So he's mad. He's, I'm sure he's just walking around just angry, grumbling to himself. I can't believe this happened to me. It's stupid. Right? So here comes the dinner the next night. At least he's got something to look forward to. And the king is, is talking, and he goes back, and he says, you know, what do you want? What do you, what do you want? Like, you want something? What do you want? I want to give you. Like, the king is seeking to... To, to to praise Esther and to give her something and she says in chapter seven, three through four, If I have found favor with you, your majesty, and if it pleases you, grant me my life. This is my petition. Can you imagine how that knocks him off course? What are you talking about? You're the queen. Your life's not at risk. Just grant me my life. Grant me my life. I just want to live. And spare my people. This is my request. For I and my people have been sold to be destroyed, killed, and annihilated. If we had merely been sold as male and female slaves, listen to this. If you would just given us away as slaves, I wouldn't have even come to you. It wouldn't have been worthy of your time. If we had just been sold off into slavery, then, then nothing would have been said. But, but they're seeking our lives. God just, or not God, <laughs> Xerxes, just please just grant us our lives. Just grant us our lives. Xerxes is like, whoa, he gets mad. Who is doing this? Who's coming after the queen? Who's coming after her people? And she says, it's this evil Haman. I told you earlier, the king, he wasn't somebody that acted right away, right? He stands up and he walks out in the courtyard. He's angry. But he's trying to come to like a logical conclusion and, and not just act out of anger. Well, at this point, Haman jumps on Esther. Please spare my life and I just, I, I, I'm sorry. I didn't mean it. Like, Have mercy on me. Make me your slave. Do whatever. And the king walks back in. It doesn't look like he's pleading for his life. And so the king goes on to say, you're even so bold to molest the queen in my court? And guess who ends up on that 75-foot pole right next to Haman's house? Haman. Haman. All because Esther took courage enough to act. All because Esther took courage enough to act. Third and final point, and we will pray. God cannot honor actions that you have never had the courage to take. I want you to hear that again. God cannot honor actions that you never had the courage to take. Sometimes in life, if we want to see God act, we have to act too. Sometimes in life, if we want to see God move, we have to move too. That doesn't mean that God cannot bring about his desires a different way. But so many times, I think as Christians, we look at God and we say, God, you're not moving here. And this isn't one of those things that's not in Scripture. I said, God only helps those who help themselves. Not the case. Okay? Don't hear that in this. But what I am saying is that sometimes God calls us to act and to move. And if we don't do it, he can't bless that action that we take. If we won't obey God, how can we expect Him to do what it is that we are seeking for Him to do? So don't be a person who says, God, you're not acting on my behalf, and yet you never had the courage to do what it is that God has called you to do. Let's pray. God, I come to you right now. I thank you for this day. I thank you for the story of Esther. I thank you for the fact that she was courageous. God, she was a lioness. She was a fighter. She was somebody who saw what was right and did it regardless of the outcome, regardless of what may have happened to her. God, we're all supposed to be like that. We are all supposed to be like that. We're all supposed to be people who do what is right because it is right. Not because it is comfortable, not because it may benefit us, not because of all the things good that we think may come of it, but just because the act itself is right. You are a just God. And you call us to be just people. Help us to be the voice for those who cannot fight for themselves. Help us to be people who are courageous enough to stand up for our convictions, for what our conscience is telling us is right, for us to stand up for the leading of the Spirit in our lives. Help us to be a church who doesn't sit back in comfort, who doesn't say, God, we're not going to do this because... Whatever reason, help us to be leaders in this community as individuals and collectively who say, this is what we feel God wants to do and so we are going to do it. We ask for all these things and we ask for courage. In Jesus' name, amen.